0: hd 107.9 Life. James here with you. Hope you're having a wonderful night. We've got a very special show for you tonight. You're going to really, really enjoy this. Coming up a little bit later on, we've got Orla and Adair from Aberfall Park Antioch Group uh, talking about their recent retreat weekend that they had. We'll tell you more about that when it as, as it comes up. It's a, a really, really amazing thing that the Antiochs from all different parts of uh, Adelaide and around the world do as part of their year of activities. But first up, I had a very special guest, uh, in the studio here today it was professor mohammed abdallah he is the director for the center of islamic thought here in adelaide as part of unisa part of the reason that he's here and we had a chance to chat today has a lot to do with the fact that we are a radio program produced by the catholic office for youth and young adults last year at the feast of the epiphany Pope Francis did a video, it was a minute and a half long, uh, all about the importance of interfaith dialogue. At the beginning of this video, the Pope cites the fact that the majority of the Earth's inhabitants profess some sort of religious belief. And then he said, this should lead to a dialogue among religions. We should not stop praying for it and collaborating with those who think differently. There's one part of the video, too, that I find incredibly powerful, where he says, many think differently, feel differently, seeking God or meeting God in different ways. In this crowd, in this range of religions, there is only one certainty that we have for all, that we are all children of God. And then shows uh, people who are Buddhist, people who are Jewish, people who are Muslim, people who are Catholics, and the fact that we really do need to be talking more about the things that are important in our life and maybe some of the things that we are interpreting incorrectly. Now, Professor Muhammad Abdullah has been a huge part of... The Muslim community in Australia for many years. You may have seen him on QA uh, a few times. He's been on a couple of those shows as sort of as an expert on Islam and as a sort of a spokesperson for the Muslim community in Australia. We were fortunate enough recently here uh, where I work at Catholic Education South Australia that he came in and gave an address at one of our staff days that we have uh, once or twice a term. And to be honest, I wasn't expecting really to have my perceptions on so many different issues questioned changed thought about and all I could think of was it's such a shame that only the people who are sitting in this room today are going to be getting a chance to hear this so I invited him to come in um, and talk to all of us here on HD Radio and this is what happened. <laughs> Professor Muhammad Abdullah, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, James. I appreciate how busy you are. Now, uh, you are the Director for the Centre of Islamic Thought and Education uh, at University of South Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is and how it came to
1: be? Yes, thank you very much. The Center for Islamic Thought and Education was established August last year. I was invited uh, by the Vice-Chancellor to see if I could establish the center. Prior to that, I was a director of a uh, Center for Islamic Studies at Griffith University. And I've done that for about 10, 15 years. That's in uh, New South Wales, isn't it? Uh, Queensland. Queensland, sorry. Yep. So it's Griffith University in Queensland, right? Yes. So not Griffith, the the, the town. No, okay. Right. My mistake. No, that's <laughs> fine. Uh, essentially, the Center for Islamic Thought and Education, the vision is to... Uh, revive Islamic thought for the sake of empowerment of communities through research, engagement and teaching. We are big on engagement and essentially we want to be able to utilize empirical research to provide solutions for some of the challenges that the Australian Muslim community are facing. For example, youth identity issues or uh, things to do with domestic violence within the Australian Muslim community or even empowering Islamic schools uh, in terms of renewal of their curriculum or teacher training and so forth.
0: So cutting straight to it, you're seen as one of the leading um, academic scholars of Islam in
1: Australia. What is Islam? At the core of it, what is it that Muslims believe? All right, the word Islam is an Arabic word which simply means submission to one God. And at the core of Islamic teaching is the belief in one unique God. Uh, uh, In Arabic, the word is Allah. Christian Arabs also use the word Allah for God. Uh, And this that this God is uh, all merciful or compassionate, but also in addition to this, Islam emphasizes uh, the rights of God and the rights of the creation of God. In fact, uh, one who studies Islam will find that the rights of the creation of God are much more than the rights of God himself. Uh, For instance, of the rights of of, uh, the creation of God, which... Uh, as a a Christian would identify with, you know, loving one's neighbor, not committing murder. So these are fundamental aspects of Islam. Islam is now about 1400 years old, and to Muslims, they believe it's a continuation of the same message that came prior to Muhammad, and that is the message of Jesus and Moses and Abraham to worship one God and to live on this earth as good human beings who ultimately Will have to meet God, meet God, and be taken to account for what they have done. A lot of people don't know this, but Jesus is actually mentioned in the Quran. Jesus is mentioned th- at least thirty-five times in wow, the Quran. That many? Exactly. In fact, he's mentioned by name more than the Prophet Muhammad is mentioned in the Quran. Uh, wow! Correct. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's incredible. And it is often he's often mentioned uh, by way of respect and veneration, never by way of criticism. And in fact, uh, there is an entire chapter in the Quran, Uh, chapter is a surah, the word for chapter is surah. So there is an entire chapter in the Quran called Miriam, or Mary, attributed to the mother of of Jesus, peace be upon him, in which it speaks of Mary as the most chaste and honorable woman to step on this earth and uh, speaks about the miraculous conception of Jesus, uh, that she gave birth to Jesus, who is, in fact, the word in the Quran about Jesus is Kalimatullah, the word of God, Wow! Uh, uh, born uh, miraculously uh, without a human intervention. And it gives a narrative of the magnificence of Mary and her purity and her, her chastity. And of course, speaks about uh, Jesus uh, in, in ex- exemplary ways, such that uh, every time a Muslim mentions the name Jesus or Isa in Arabic, must say, uh, "Alayhi Salaam, May God's peace be upon him.
0: Wow, that that blows my mind. I've
1: got to be honest.
0: So, th- not only kind of the I guess the the underlying story and the narrative of the Quran and of the New Testament sit alongside each other and the intention of the kind of message and the idea of how people are supposed to live. Professor, where does this idea around the Quran preaching violence and supporting the violent extremism that we're just
1: seeing in the world today, where does that come from? Violence is a human nature, unfortunately, so it doesn't come from a specific religious teaching. Uh, I think human beings sometimes when they are uh, not disciplined or spiritually or otherwise but also if they are uh, pressured or cornered or undergo severe personal circumstances or whatever it may be may lead them to acts of violence so from an islamic perspective let's be very clear there is consensus among all muslim scholars from the past and the present the east and the west and it's exceptionally hard in islamic law to arrive at consensus but there is consensus among all muslim scholars from all persuasions and all walks of life that uh, indiscriminate violence against civilians and bystanders and non-combatants is totally prohibited it is seen as a major sin it is seen as an anomaly and it attracts the curse of God so therefore anyone who comes to us in the name of any ideology Islamic or otherwise and says that they committing violence in the name of Islam uh, it is absolutely rejected it doesn't mean it's not gonna happen people will continue to do so but from an Islamic perspective it is unacceptable now just like in the bible whether it's the old testament or the new testament one can easily find references to perhaps violent texts or verses however a christian who's versed in the tradition or a scholar of christianity or the biblical criticism uh, literally criticism would understand that you have to look at the context and not the text only when one looks at the text only and not the context then yes one can arrive at certain conclusions that are in themselves problematic to their actual message. And that's why Muslim scholars always say you cannot arrive at an interpretation by looking at the text only, but you have to look at the text and the context. You said that there is a a common preconception
0: out there in the community. It's it's a a sort of a rallying cry that you hear more than any other, where it's like, you know, these terrible acts happen. Why aren't the senior Muslim leaders coming out and saying something about it? And you had uh, quite an amazing story to tell about that. Well, that's
1: correct. I I often get asked this question, you know, why aren't Muslims or Muslim leaders or imams condemning acts of violence and terrorism? And I find that rather surprising because they do, and many, many, many times they have. Uh, Just to give you a quick example, uh, I think in 2016, I can't recall the year 2016 or 2015, 70,000 Muslim clerics in India issued a statement, a fatwa, a legal opinion, condemning ISIL and Al-Qaeda, and any uh, Islamic terrorism or terrorism in the name of Islam. That's 70,000, right? That's yeah. That's an India <laughs> that's a only. lot of voices, yeah. All right. Now, I know in the, in the Islamic world, the Arab Islamic world, the major uh, scholars there, the muftis, uh, the grand muftis of uh, Egypt and Saudi and uh, Qatar and so forth have also issued fatwas. A fatwa is a legal opinion issued by a scholar uh, making a statement regarding a legal issue. In Australia, I know the Australian National Imams Council, the Grand Mufti, I, myself, and and many others have issued statements. Yet, we're often asked the same question. Interestingly, when an individual who is unknown, say a member of ISIL, and this happened a few years ago, issued his own fatwa, his own statement against Australians that he and ISIL it, intends to target Australians, it made it in the front page of the local papers. Hmm a fatwa by somebody from ISIL. And he is not representative, he's not an authority, and he cannot issue a fatwa. Yet when the leaders of the community issue these fatwas, they don't make it to the paper. And why is that, do you think? Look, uh, generally speaking, I think uh, sensationalization is the motto, so to speak, of media today, unfortunately. And uh, it is not sensational to say that uh, Muslim leaders, Australian Muslim leaders, condemn terrorism and they have issued fatwas or they have issued statement against it. It doesn't sell, perhaps, you know. You know, I've heard this many times. If it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Sorry, that's right. not even funny because that's, yeah, that's horrible. That's, that's you know, and, uh, and again and again we find ourselves needing to question. In fact, uh, I think a couple of months ago. The Grand Mufti of Australia uh, uh, said openly, he says, we condemn terrorism, we condemn it now, and we will condemn it perpetually, so don't come and ask for our condemnation again. We have done it so many times. How frustrating is that? I mean, you're trying to use a megaphone to
0: try and get the word out there. That's what it is, but without the colour and conflict. We were talking a little bit correct. beforehand about, you know, it's, it's almost like the big action blockbuster competing with, you know, the talky drama. The The big action blockbuster is always going to get the more attention, That's even correct. though it's not factually representative of the amount of voices out there. It's almost like climate change, isn't it? You know, the fact that they it's its seen to be a balanced argument, when in fact it's something like 97% uh, against 3%. Uh,
1: well, that, that is correct. In fact, it's not giving voice to the silent majority who have spoken repeatedly. And often we find a voice is often given to the more radical, more outrageous, more divisive individual who may be speaking in the name of Islam, or happens to be a Muslim, uh, and uh, uh, is given a platform uh, that, uh, you know, more moderate, so to speak, balanced, grounded uh, individual Muslims are not given. I have issued, in the last three months, for example, personally, from our, through our center, I issued at least three media releases condemning some of the acts of terrorism that happened in the UK and elsewhere Uh, in most cases it is only one media outlet that is interested in those media releases and contact me Uh, but if I can guarantee you if I was to make a more outrageous statement uh, then the response will be totally different. Yeah. You work a lot with
0: young people, young Muslims, Australians, um, around the countries as is work that's very important to you. Can you talk a little bit about that work that you do as well? Also a little bit about why the term de-radicalisation is really counterproductive and actually quite a destructive one. <coughs>
1: Thank you very much. First, it's important to understand that Islam has been in Australia for a very long time. In fact, uh, records and research demonstrates that it predates European settlement. First, Muslims came from Makassar, Indonesia, Salawasi, in around the 1600s. They had some wonderful relationship with the aboriginal communities. As you would know, in the 1800s, the cameleers were brought from uh, Afghanistan, Mm. Balochistan, Pakistan. With their
0: camels, so I know that, and I fa- I tell you how I found out about that. Yes. I was playing uh, music, it was what I used to do, and and uh, we were up on a tour, driving up through um, the Northern Territory and someone had said uh, as we stopped somewhere they said it's really amazing if when you're driving some camels start running alongside your car in the <laughs> desert and I thought they were totally having me on and I refused to believe it was true until it actually happened and then someone explained that
1: that's, that that's it. What, what had happened. Precisely exactly <laughs> and they brought the camels to help in the setting of the railway lines which connected the interior of Australia so their contributions economically and otherwise is Is tremendous. Now, I say this because when I speak to young Australian Muslims, I say to them, uh, denying your Australianness is denying a longstanding historical presence of Islam in this nation. We must not see being a Muslim or Islam as foreign to this nation. I think we are all part of this wonderful nation. It's a melting pot. The other important point to raise before talking about the question of identity is that most Australians who are born here, most Australian Muslims are born here, more than 35%, and also the bulk of Australian Muslims are young Muslims, and so born here they are bred through, you know, bred in Australia, they know the country, they know nothing but Australia, they speak the language fluently, and if they come, if their you know heritage is Lebanese or Bangladeshi or Pakistani, in truth they don't know that heritage. So they they see themselves part of this nation. However, what had happened post 9/11, and because of the oft or often repeated negative representation or misrepresentation of Islam and Muslims, and the the painting of Muslims as homogeneous with one being all the same, monolithic, and that they're all identified with terrorism and supposedly support it, it has created marginalization. It has created in many young people a sense of not belonging to this country and a sense of isolation. Now that leads to questioning their identity. I am born in this country, I know nothing about this country, but I'm made to feel I don't belong. And I've been do- told this by many young people, which is sad because if that happens, then you can see they become more susceptible and maybe vulnerable to more extreme discourses or narratives. Mm. And that's what happens in many cases, pe- young people who are attracted to a, a an extreme narrative, often, not always, but in many cases, are uh, young people who felt... They don't belong anymore. Mm. But and this they, this happens right across the board. This isn't just about exactly. m- young Muslims. This is
0: about any any group of young people who become marginalised, who become separated, right. who are told they're different. They immediately start to gravitate towards more towards
1: a group of people where they feel that they actually belong. That's right. I mean, it's in the nature exactly. Therefore, the connotation of, or the label of de radicalization Any program that has the label de is going to be ineffective. Uh, in my estimation based on my thorough experience with my community and with young people the minute we label a de-radicalization then you lose those who need to be engaged mm. because they see it's labeled it's uh, preconceived uh, preconceived notions and so forth we have to be smarter we have to provide effective substantial grounded programs that young people can identify with and feel yes this is what i want to do without having to come out of this program being labeled one who attended a deradicalization exactly. program
0: exactly it's like cuz it's it makes them essentially going in saying you're an extremist and you need help and you need help and then you'll come out the other side you've just been de-radicalized, congratulations <laughs> Which, and, and 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 young people are smart very smart of they course. see through that it seems that with all the positive work that's happening and you're doing it largely without any kind of media attention or any kind of acknowledgement that it's of what it's doing. It takes so little to undo that with just a little bit of sensationalism to just set the whole thing back. So, with that in mind, um, Mohammed, where do we go as people of saying, okay, so, look, maybe I'm naive, but I like to believe that we really are moving aspirationally towards a path of enlightenment. We want to actually evolve into people who are wiser, and just more aware and loving the people around us as much as possible because we see that we are all really the same. And especially between Muslims and Christians uh, and Catholics especially, we see such a similar narrative playing out as to what it is we're wanting to achieve. What do we do? Knowing that we can't, we, we can't influence the, the, I guess, the, the broader sensational media community, uh, there are some people who block their ears and say, no, we don't want to hear about this. We're very comfortable feeling the way that we do around people who we consider to be insiders and people who are considered mm-hmm. to be outsiders.
1: In amongst all that, what can we do together as a community to,
0: to change that?
1: That's an excellent question. Thank you very much. And I think everybody has a responsibility and a role to play. Totally. Totally. So you got the government has a responsibility, the media has a responsibility, organizations has a, have a responsibility, religious leaders have a responsibility, and individuals. And uh, briefly, and, and I'll come back to the point, I was just reading an article of a former student from Griffith University. Uh, she's just, uh, she's written a, a paper on toleration and going back to the work of John Locke, uh, the 16th, 17th century Christian philosopher who was among a few other enlightened scholars of the time who were trying to, it's quite ironic because this is what's happening in the Muslim world is going through this upheaval when in the 17th century it was the Christian world that uh, was going through this upheaval where there was uh, infightings between christian denominations and sects and people were coming forward and saying we have to advocate the idea of toleration and the idea of toleration is that we have to accept the human right of every individual regardless of their color gender ethnicity or religious beliefs these are what uh, pope francis recently called intrinsic values human Mm. values when he spoke about in his uh, environmental encyclical he spoke about yeah, say um, when he, he's he i love the way he framed the argument he says we need to frame it in a social justice framework and at the heart of that social justice is acknowledging that injustices will cont- will create problems and acknowledging the intrinsic human rights and intrinsic intrinsic rights not only of humans but also of the environment now individually what we could do first and foremost not lose hope we must never lose hope in the good goodness of people. I think this is where our faith traditions come in handy. Our faith traditions have core values that are instru- exceptionally important in terms of difficulties. Hope. But secondly, uh, to try to, at the individual level, this is where the personal jihad comes in, personal struggle to try to rid our own selves of these preconceived notions and i think one of the best ways to do that is to go and get to know people. Uh, I found that to be quite empowering. Thirdly, we must not be complacent. And whenever we see any community being under attack, whether it is this community or that community, we should try to speak out. Write to the editor, write to the journalist or write to the paper as a, a concerned citizen and say look, i'm not particularly happy the way we are tarnishing an entire community because of the doings of one or two people Uh, and i think everybody should do this for everybody else Uh, but also at a more practical level i think it's important in this case say for churches and mosques to be engaged with one another in not not theological discussions or debates but in human interaction Mm. where You know, as I said many years ago, you invite us to a halal barbecue (laughs) and we invite you to a nice Mediterranean meal, perhaps. yes. Let your uh, young people get to know our young people. And if I may add on a last point, I think religious leaders play an essentially important role. And I feel the onus of proof is often on our shoulders where in my sermons, I should be able to educate my community on this idea of acceptance, on removing stereotypes from their minds because i as a re- religious leader my word in the mosque counts and if i can educate my community and if I, if every or, or if, if other religious leaders were to do the same then I think we will get somewhere. And I,
0: I totally agree. And I think part of this is what makes me very proud of my own of my own Catholic faith in that uh, interreligious dialogue is considered to be it's something that we need to prioritise at the moment because it's so desperately important. And just, you know, we wake up and look at the news every day and are reminded more and more why that's so crucially important. I, I just hope that we can continue to work together more and more and work towards a, a wonderful and bright future. Thank you so much, James. Thank you. Pleasure. That was Coldplay. You'll see to ArchD1079 Live. I am joined by Orla and Adair from Aberfoyle Park, Antioch. How are you going, guys? Great, thanks. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for coming in today. You just had the big uh, retreat weekend. Yeah. This is a big part in the life of the year of Antioch. Can you tell us a bit about it, Adair, what it's all about? So,
2: I guess Four Park Antioch has been uh, within the Nativity Parish for almost 30 years now. Um, and it's a you- That's epic. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And uh, it's a youth group that's run by the youth. Uh, we give talks, we have reflection, we have music, you know, it's a good time just for people to come in and listen
0: and be able to reflect on where they are with their life. We were talking a little bit about this off air. You have been part of it now for three years. You were saying you yeah. you joined yeah almost exactly three years ago. How's it um helped you helped you kind of grow over the last few years? I think the Antioch uh, made me more confident as a person. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: like I was kind of in a rough patch at high school um, and kind of struggled. And coming to Antioch has given me more confidence. Uh, make new friendships. You know, being able to lead an
0: outreach weekend was—it uh, was an incredible experience. Fantastic stuff. Now, all—how long have you been part of Antioch for that sort of period of time?
2: Yeah. So Adair and I joined on the same weekend.
0: Get out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, so um, we've been in it together from the beginning. Now, Um, you
0: can't say as well that, you know, um, when you joined Antioch, you said you weren't actually even a part of the church prior to that.
2: No, I wasn't. So So, what drew you to it then? Well, I've always been really interested in learning about people's faiths and their cultures and, like, appreciating that. And also, at the time, I just made a new friend at school and she'd just moved to Australia, so she was invited by someone from the parish to come along and she wanted to bring me with her. So, yeah.
0: And that's what got you kind of interested. And what was your impression? So, you you, Mm. you walked in on the first part of this weekend not really knowing what to expect. What what were your first impressions?
2: Everyone was really charismatic. As someone who came from an agnostic background, everyone was a lot less solemn than I was expecting for a Catholic (laughs) retreat. Um, But yeah, no, it was... It was just excellent. Everyone was just having so much fun and singing and playing games as soon as we got there and it was it was really cool because it's the middle of the holidays. You don't really have much to do. You're pretty bored and then you come along and you're just having this amazing weekend of fun and faith and and really getting to know each other and appreciate that very spiritual part of each other and and um what's really great is that I never felt excluded because I was you know at the beginning of my journey. Mm. I I am um, What I love about it from the beginning, what I loved about it was that everyone is where they're at and everyone is accepted for that and allowed to share that and be open about it so that we can all move forward together.
0: I love the term that you use, journey. It's a faith journey is is a phrase that you hear a lot in the Catholic Church, which is great. And I think that really acknowledges the fact that everyone's on a different stage in their in their path, regardless of how long they've been a part of the church for. So exactly. People who might be interested in in doing something like this clearly, like for, for, from your experience, especially Oli, you went in there not a part of the church, not just literally wanted to go along and kind of see what it was all about. Yeah. And it has been just happens to have been this really transformative. Experience that's informed, you know, a completely new sort of chapter of your life. Seemingly,
2: oh, absolutely. And um, we were talking off air before about how it's re- one another thing that's really cool about Antioch is it really bridges that period between high school and university, and yeah. when you're leaving high school and going into university, it's a very, it's a time of yeah, lots of transformation. Yeah. But a lot of the time, those friendships don't really carry on and that you had in high school but Antioch kind of bridges that gap and carries it carries along there so I feel like as well as the obviously I have a faith now which is a huge thing Mm. but also that group of people has transformed my life by being that one constant that I've had for the last three years the one thing that I can always come back to, it's like home.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, we'll put up, um, if I could maybe get, you know, before you guys leave today, maybe get some email addresses or something like that Mm -hmm. from you guys. And we'll stick that up on our Facebook, on, um, at HD Radio. Uh, People can get in touch with you if they're interested in wanting to get involved with Antioch, Aberfoyle Park. So, yeah. That
2: would be amazing. We'd love that.
0: That would be great. So, what are the ages that you have to be um, to to go?
2: Um, So, we say 15 to 25. If you're 14 and 11 months, we're not going to make a (laughs) fuss. Get out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we like to keep it to those ages because obviously the experience of a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old can be quite different, but it's cool to have that kind of big brother, big sister thing going on.
0: Wonderful. So if you're in the Aberfall Park, Flagstaff Hill, Happy Valley kind of area. Mm, Blackwood. Blackwood, yep. yep. All, all through that, um, which is uh, lovely, being from that area myself.
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> and Nativity being my parish as well, yeah. you know, uh, I've, got, I've got to say it's a wonderful community and it's great. Mm. Father Charles, who's the, the priest there too, is is truly wonderful. It's a great community to be a part of. So Orla and Adair, thank you so much for coming in today. And Amy, who's sitting off air, who was part of the Giving People the Lift part of this <laughs> whole experience thank you very much as well um, and hopefully we will see you guys again really soon. Be sure to get in touch with us through the Facebook page to get in touch with Adair and Ola about Antioch and Aberfoyle Park. Thanks guys. Thank you Thank you so much, James. Special thanks as well to Professor Muhammad Abdallah, who was our guest earlier on. Uh, we are here every Wednesday night from 9, every Saturday night from 10. Stay tuned to 107.9 Life for more of your music. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook as well. Lots of great photos and stuff uh, on there too. We will see you again in a couple of days. Bye.